Now, this morning, I want to take a, uh, a moment, and I want us to look into God's Word together. Wasn't it great to see a baptism today and celebrating that? Wow, great testimony. Thank you for sharing your testimony on video and the baptism today. Just a special, special day. Now, I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Job, and that's where we're at today. We'll be looking at the last chapter in this wonderful book and a very curious and different book that's found in, uh, uh, in your Bible. And so if you find Job... Now today, I just want to warn you that I don't have a lot of sermon slide um, uh, scripture verses, but you're go we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, and we're going to look up the verses in your Bible, all right? And so uh, you're going to need your Bible today, and so... Look with me to Job, and we're in chapter number 42 today. Job chapter 42. And I want us to look at the book of Job together, all right? And chapter number 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words. And I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams Go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you've not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers and sisters and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 of sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, he also had seven sons and three daughters. And he named his first daughter Jemima, 
and his second, Keziah, and his third, Karen Hapuk. No woman, women, no women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. And Job lived 140 years after this. And he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died, old and full of days. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we study this book together, I pray that you would speak to us from the counsel of your word. And Father, that you might instruct us and encourage us in our faith and our walk with you and our trust in you. Father, today I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, they might turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, speak to our hearts. We're listening closely to your word. We want to understand it. We want to know you in a deeper, more intimate way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at the book of Job together, it's part of what we call wisdom literature. It's perhaps the oldest book that we have in the Bible. And uh, the setting is a time during the patriarchs, during the, most likely during the time of Abraham's days. There's no reference to Israelite history, to the Exodus, to the law, to the tabernacle. But it's about this man, Job. And Job is a righteous man who lives a long life. He acts like a priest for his own family. The book of Job is different in its Hebrew uh, uh, language usage. And it's a little bit unique in the Hebrew vocabulary and the dialect. And the theme of the book of Job is about evil and suffering and sin. And why do both the wicked and the righteous suffer in this world in which we live? And it's like a paradigm. It's like an example. It's a case study, if you will, about true, how a truly righteous man faces the intellectual dilemma and the psychological struggle and the spiritual tension and the, uh, that is brought about and the theological questions that are raised in your mind in the midst of intense suffering and not understanding why it's taking place. The teaching that we find in the book of Job is that God only knows what is best and what brings glory to himself. That God always works what is best and good from his perspective and ultimately for his glory and for our good. God has a purpose in permitting suffering, even though some never understand it or comprehend it. And all we know about God anyway is what he by his grace chooses to disclose to us. And some who suffer indeed are truly saints of God, but they suffer in this world. But Jesus himself did suffer also, didn't he? He suffered in our place, bearing our sin 
so that we might be made right with God. The book is beautifully written. It's written so it's on, on bookends are prose, but the heart of the book of Job is poetry. And it's written in great, beautiful style and a dialogue between Job and his friends as they're talking about God and what has happened to Job. We find three friends that are called comforters. Eliphaz is one of them. He's sort of a rationalist. And he's always, he's reasoning with Job. And then there's Bildad. And Bildad's sort of an apologist. He's a defender of God. And, and he has to speak as if he speaks to defend God. And then there's Zophar. And he's like a prosecutor, like a trying attorney. And then there's one other character, a youthful character that just kind of shows up. And his name is Elihu. And he sort of mediates and he helps prepare for this divine speech when God speaks in a corrective voice to Job. And uh, they all help tell the story of the book of Job. The word Job is, comes, we get this word, the name Job, from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the Hebrew word, though, that is found here for Job means where is the Heavenly Father. Where is the Heavenly Father? And sort of this is the idea. Has God abandoned me? Is God sufficient for every aspect of my life? Will God be there when I need Him? Look with me to Job chapter 1 if you have your Bible. So flip over a few pages from the last of the book, the last chapter, and now let's go back to the first chapter. Do you have your Bible? And let's look at Job. It says there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. And this man, he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. It says this again and again concerning Job. He was a man of integrity, a man of righteousness who turned away from evil. He had been deeply and wonderfully blessed by God. In verse number two, he had seven sons and three daughters. He has a huge estate. He has 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large number of servant, servants. And then it says, Job, in verse number three, was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was, had integrity and character, and he was a man of spiritual sensitivity. He was highly intelligent and wise and thoughtful and deeply respected and righteous and influential and wealthy. And he was the most influential man in all of the East, meaning from Damascus to Arabia, he was one of the most important men on the face of the earth. He cared for his family. It says in verse number four, he was like a priest with his family. His sons used to take turns having banquets in their homes, and they would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, 
Perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. He interceded for his children. He prayed for his children. He offered sacrifices for his children. Job was an incredibly wonderful man. He was a great man. But next we find in chapter 1, the scene completely changes from earth to a courtroom of heaven. Now, something's going on in heaven that Job can't see and Job doesn't understand. And the sons of God are gathered there, the angels that roam the face of the earth, these sons of God. And, and these significant and important angels gathered together in the council of God, and among them is one called the Satan, the accuser, the adversary. It says in verse 6, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. Now Job knows nothing about this. This is happening in heaven, unknown to Job. And the Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming the earth through the earth, Satan answered, and walking all around it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one earth is like, on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. That's verse 8, chapter 1, verse 9. Satan answered, Does Job fear God for nothing? You've placed a hedge around him and his household and everything he owns. And you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he'll curse you to your face. Wow. Do you hear the accusation? He only serves you because you bless him. He only lives for you because you've been good to him and you protect him. That brings a question, doesn't it? Why do we serve God? And is it only because he's blessed us? Well, do we serve him when life is difficult and hard? And so the Lord gives him permission to take what he has. And so notice the terrible thing that takes place unbeknownst to Job, what is happening. And now we move back from the council of heaven, and God gives him permission, and Satan leaves his presence. And so now we're back on earth in verse 13. And so one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the home of their oldest brother, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing, the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away and struck down the servants with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So now the Sabaeans, this nomadic Arabian tribe, comes and they kill Job's servants and they steal some of his animals. And it's a great financial loss. But then... In verse number 16, 
He's, while he's still speaking, this messenger that gives them bad news, here comes more bad news. Another messenger comes and says, God's fire fell from heaven. And he burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He said, this, this fireball out of heaven just consumed a bunch of your servants and, and, and your sheep and your cattle. And it's all been destroyed. And then when that messenger finishes with the bad news, guess what? More bad news. You ever felt like it's bad news after bad news after bad news? What do you think Job thought? In verse 17, the messenger is still speaking, and another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three raiding bands. And they made a raid on the camels and took them away and struck down the servants with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Financial devastation. Loss of employees and workers. By this nomadic raiding tribe of the Chaldeans. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was Chaldean. And then there's the loss of family. Not only a financial loss and loss of servants and workers, but verse 18, look at the loss. He's still speaking, and another messenger comes and reports, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a powerful wind from the desert struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on the young people, and they died. And I alone am left to tell you. And now his children, all wiped out by a tornado kind of wind that wiped out his whole family. And how does Job respond? Job stood up and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground. And he worshiped God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. What a man. Amen. Are you still with me this morning? Now the scene changes in chapter number two, back to heaven again, in the courtroom of God. And God is there, and the sons of God present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, this accuser of the brothers, comes also, this adversary. And the Lord asks Satan, where have you come from? Satan says, from roaming through the earth. And Satan answered him, walking all around it. And then the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. And Satan responds, 
skin for skin. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. And he'll surely curse you to your face, is what the accuser says to God. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He's in your power. Only spare his life. And Satan left the Lord's presence. And now the scene changes back to earth. And he infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself as he sat in ashes. What a miserable existence. Lost everything he had. Lost all of his finances. Now he's lost his health. And he's sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping the boils that are oozing from his skin. What a disgusting situation. Do you think you've got it bad today? But then on top of that, he has a nagging wife. Verse 9. Are you still holding on to your integrity, his wife said? Curse God and die. What an encourager she is. Verse 10. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Do you think there's problems in paradise? Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? You hear the wisdom. And throughout all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, next in the scene arrive three friends. They're called comforters, but they're not always so comfortable and comforting. Notice in verse number 11, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the adversity that had happened to Job, and each of them came from his home and they met together to go and sympathize with him and to comfort him. And when he looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. And they wept aloud. Each man tore his robe and threw dust in the air and on his head. And they sat on the ground with him seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him because they saw his suffering was very intense. Well, these friends at first didn't recognize Job. They wept for him. They humbled themselves with him. And for seven days, they don't even say anything. They keep their mouths closed. And they join him in his suffering. I think, by the way, that is the best move of these three friends. But in chapter 4, and uh, chapter number 3, Job begins to speak. First of all, Job says, May the day that I was born perish, in verse chapter 3, verse 3, and the night that I said a boy is conceived. What he's going on is saying, he's saying, You know what? The day that I was born was a bad day. And he said, My life has been filled with great grief. 
Notice what it says in verse number, chapter 3, verse 8. Let those who curse days condemn it, and those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. He's saying, my life, it had been better off if I had died. And chapter, in, 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 in chapter number 3, he's saying, my life would have been better off if I had not even been alive. He says in verse number 11, it'd been better if I'd been stillborn. Why didn't I die when I came out of the womb? So we, we hear Job speaking. Job says, I have no peace of mind. Notice in chapter number 3, verse 25, for the thing that I feared has overtaken me and what I dreaded has happened to me. And I cannot relax or be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come. Not only have I suffered huge loss in my life, I've lost all of my wealth, I've lost all of my family, I've lost my children, and I've lost my health. And I, my own mind, is plagued with constant anxiety and turmoil. Have you ever felt like that? Wow. So these three friends began to respond to Job. And they respond to him in, in different speeches. I, I can't go through all of these today, but I'm going to look at some of them to give you an idea about some of these speeches. In chapter number 4, in verse number 8, Eliphaz speaks, the Timonite. And notice in verse number 8, he says, In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. This was the wisdom of the age. If you're a good and right and just person, God will always bless you. But if you do injustice, and don't act with justice, then God will bring misery and heartache on you. And notice what he says in chapter number 5, verse 16. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts its mouth. See how happy is the person whom God corrects? So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty, Job, for he wounds but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. What he's saying is, Job, you've sinned. You need to repent, or this wouldn't have happened to you. But Job responds to him in chapter number 6. And Job is, is saying, but I'm innocent. I have not done this thing. In verse number one, he says, if only my grief could be weighed and my devastation placed with it on scales. He said, I'm devastated by all of that has happened. And in, in verse, he says in verse number four, the arrows of the Almighty have pierced me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's terrors are arrayed against me. Notice in chapter six in verse number 24, are you still following with me in your Bible? Teach me and I will be silent. Help me understand. He's talking to God. What, what did I do wrong? How painful honest words can be, but 
What does your rebuke prove? He says back to these friends. He's saying, look, I haven't done this thing. Notice in verse 29, he says, reconsider, don't be unjust. Reconsider, my righteousness is still the issue. Is there injustice on my tongue or can my palate not taste disaster? So Job is replying in chapter number 7, verse number 11. Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. This isn't right. Verse 20. If I have sinned, what have I done to you? Watcher of humanity. Why have you made me your target that I've become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my iniquity? For soon I will lie down in the grave and you will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. And then Bildad, one of the other, this apologist for God, chapter number 8, verse number 3, he says, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what's right? He said, this is why this has happened to you, Job. Verse 4. Your children sinned against him. He gave them over to their rebellion. But if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, if you're pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. He says, there's sin in your house, in your family, in your life. Chapter 8, verse 20. Look, God does not reject a person of integrity. He will not support evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. But Job's reply to him in chapter 9. Yes, I know what you say is true. But how can it be a person be justified before God? In verse 3. If one wanted to take him to court, he could not answer God. Once in a thousand times. Who's going, to bring, who's going to summon God to court? Who has authority to do that? In verse number 15 of chapter number 9. Even if I were in the right, I could not answer. I could only beg not judge for mercy. Why? Because he's so much higher than me. He's God. Verse 19. You hear Job's dilemma. If it's a matter of strength, look, he's the powerful one. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? Do you see the conflict? Do you see the problem? And you see the bitterness and the hurt. In chapter number 9, verse 32, For he's not a man like me that I can answer him, that we can take each other to court. There's no mediator between us to lay his hand on both of us. We're not equals. We can't do that. That doesn't work. Chapter 10, verse 1, I'm disgusted with my life. I'll give vent to my complaint and speak in the bitterness of my soul. Verse 2, chapter 10, I'll say to God, do not declare me guilty. Let me know why you prosecute me. If it's good for you to oppress to reject the work of your hands and favor the plans of the wicked. So Job's reply is, there's bitterness and hurt. 
and no understanding. Zophar speaks in chapter number 11, one of the other friends, and he says in verse 11, surely he knows which people are worthless. If he sees iniquity, will he not take note of it? He says, the problem's in you, Job. You've been unrighteous. And this was the wisdom of the day. But Job continues to maintain his innocence, that he is not sinned against God. Well, chapter number 12, the first two verses, Job's reply to Zophar, Job says, no doubt you are my people, you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. You hear the sarcasm in here? He's, he's, now these guys are arguing, they have been, and he just uses sarcasm. No doubt you're the people, and wisdom will die with you. You guys got all the wisdom. And notice, and he says, but I also have a mind like you. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know the things you're talking about? He says, here's the problem. Verse number four, I'm a laughing stock to my friends by calling on God who answers me. The righteous and blameless man is a laughing stock. I'm like a fool before others. Verse six, the tents of robbers are safe and those who trouble God are secure. God holds them in his hands. He says there's something inconsistent because evildoers are protected by God. But I'm not. Do you hear it? So in this back and forth, where is God in this kind of justice? And this is the flavor, the dialogue going on in these speeches. And so I, I, I just wanted to read some of those with you today. Now today, I, in the balance of this message, I want us to consider this thought. Job feels estranged from the very God that he's trying to serve. How does that happen? Real quickly, stay with me. This is some of the points of the outline. Number one, what makes you feel estranged from God? Point number one, and this should be on the slide. When you've experienced great loss in your life. Do you have that slide? Point one. When you've experienced great loss, deep grief, it touches the deepest part of your life. When you experience the loss of someone that you love, something that you love, some of you have experienced deep loss in your life. You lost a marriage you didn't want to lose. You lost a career you didn't want to lose. You've lost financially in ways that blow your mind and devastate you. Maybe you've lost a son or daughter who died. Maybe you've lost your health. And it's exhausting. And it steals your joy. And it's wave after wave of sorrow and uncertainty. And it feels like everything's lost and nothing is sure. God understands that pain. 
And God is not against you. But God is with you. Even in your suffering. Number two, when we don't understand how God is working. We feel alienated from God and we don't know how to get back home. When things don't seem to make sense and the world doesn't seem to make sense. It's like I don't deserve this. But Job knows nothing about what's happening in the courtroom of heaven. He knows nothing about the accuser. He knows nothing about God's permission. Because Job's perspective is limited. And I want to submit to you, our perspective in this world is limited. We can't see all the way that God is working in this world. But God makes no mistakes. Thirdly, when you've tried to live right, but things go wrong. You trust the Lord. You're trying to follow him. You're trying, but then to obey him, but things are going wrong and you suffer. Does that mean that God doesn't love you? No. Fourthly, when God disappoints you, you ever been disappointed by God? When he doesn't act like you expect him to act. When he doesn't reward you the way you feel like you should be rewarded. When he doesn't punish those that you think need to be punished. You see, we like to climb up on the throne and like to think how we would run this world if we were God. Thank God you're not God. And God doesn't always act in the way that you expect or the way that you want him. And life doesn't always turn out the way that you've planned for it to. The way that you dreamed for it to. I was reminded again yesterday in a conversation with my mom about her family. My grandfather was 30 six years old. He was a farmer in southern Illinois and a coal miner. He had two small children at home and a small family farm. And at 36 years old, he was drafted to fight in World War II and left his wife and two small children to try to fend for themselves and run a family farm. He was shipped off into Italy and fought in the war in Italy and was shot and wounded and lying bleeding on a battlefield while his wife was at home for over two years by herself, plowing with a horse and a plow and harvesting and doing a farm by her own self. Life isn't going exactly the way you had planned. Things interrupt our life in ways that you can't understand. But my grandfather did recover. He did come home. And my grandfather led his family to the worship of God every Sunday. My other grandfather lost everything he had, his whole farm, in the collapse 
of the Great Depression. And even when he could not provide for his own family and lost everything, he led his family to worship and trust God. When life becomes a disappointment, will you look to him and still love him? When you feel that you've been misunderstood and falsely accused, it has a way of faith making you feel alienated from God. They falsely say, you've sinned. It's got to be your problem. Your kids sinned. You must deserve this. You feel alienated from God when the Lord is the one that causes the hurt in your life. I mean, where do you run if the one hurting you is the one, only one who can help you? And this is Job's dilemma. And finally, you feel alienated from God when your complaint is against God himself. When your complaint is against God, who can advocate for you? Who can stand and accuse him? Who do you appeal to above God? You can't appeal to anybody above God. And this is Job's struggle. But how does Job come home to him? Well, that's what we just looked at, isn't it? Look with me to chapter number 40. When God speaks to Job, he breaks out and speaks in chapter number 38. And he says, where were you, Job, when the earth was established? Who fixed the dimensions? Chapter 38, verse 5. Certainly you know, right, Job? Who stretched the measuring line across it? Who created this whole world, Job? Verse 11, when I declared you may come this far but no farther, your proud waves stop here. He says, when I'm in charge of the seas and the lands and the stars and the constellations and I hang them into the world, when I tell the nature how to work and the goats how to bear their offspring and, and, and how the wild donkeys work and the ox and, 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 and all of the animal kingdom. And when I take care of all of this created order and, and, and all the constellations of heaven, where are you in all of that, Job? And finally, he, Job realizes the smallness of himself and the the greatness of God. Chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord answered Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give an answer. And Job answered the Lord, I'm so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not reply twice. But now I can add nothing. And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Job realizes and acknowledges who he is and how great God is. And he says, are you like me, Job? No, you're not like me. He says, I want you to look at two of great creatures. Chapter 40, verse 15. Look at the behemoth. Now, who is this? Well, we don't know for certain. 
It's a huge, which I made along with you. He eats grass like cattle. This is a huge animal from the animal kingdom, the behemoth. It could be a mythological uh, uh, creature, or some have guessed it might be the vast size of a hippopotamus. Look at the strength of his back, the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. He says he's huge. Though the river rages, verse 23, behemoth is unafraid. He remains confident even if the Jordan River surges to its mouth. Who can capture him while he looks on or put or control him, pierce his nose with snares? No. He says, you can't even control a creature that I made. He says, consider the Leviathan, this other great creature. You can't control him with a hook or tie his tongue down with a rope. This is like a huge dinosaur, like maybe a giant saltwater crocodile. He, he says, he's nobody so fero- as ferocious as him. And no one can contend with him and fight with him. And no arrow can take him down. He's great, Job. And you can't even handle him. There's no equal on earth in chapter 41, verse 33. And Job realizes the vastness of all God's creator, the greatness of who God is and all the world he's created. And he's a nothing compared even to these great creatures God has made. And Job replied to the Lord, chapter 42, verse 1, I know you can do anything and no plans of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that conceals my counsel with ignorance? I spoke a thing about things I don't understand. Too wondrous for me. He said, I heard reports about you, but now I've seen you with my eyes. God, I repent. He acknowledges the greatness of God. And this is the step back home. You acknowledge the greatness of God. Secondly, you confess my sin and weakness and dependence upon him. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Lord is with us. The Lord takes care of us. And he never abandons us. He says, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. The way back home is Job repents and says, God, I've spoken out of my pain and my hurt. Oh, God, there's none like you. He humbles himself. The Bible says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will lift you up. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. The Bible says God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. The Bible says God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work. God knows you. God is good to you. God will take care of you. God is with you. What can God do for you? God can restore you. And God can revive you. In the end, 
God rebukes his adversaries. He says to these three comforters that weren't much comfort, you've not spoken the truth. Listen, boys, you misrepresented my words. Listen, boys, Job has been right all the way along. And listen, you need to offer sacrifices and pray. And Job's going to pray for you because I listen to his prayers. And Job's prayer was heard. And then he restored Job's fortunes. He blessed and made Job's life better than it even was before. And it says, the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. God blessed him. And God restored him. My friends, God can restore you. And maybe you're going through a hard time and you wonder where God is and you feel estranged and far from him. But the way back home is by humbling yourselves before the Lord, repenting of your sin, depending upon him and trusting him no matter what and how difficult things are in your life. Hallelujah. What a great God that we have. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. And Lord, I, I know this has been a long look into this glorious book. And I thank you that it was written for our instruction. Father, I pray that today me, we might run to you, trust in you, even in our pain, even in a hardship. And trust that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.